0: So oh, it's just some guy in a rubber mask. Hello, and welcome out to the inaugural episode of Venture Quest. And I'm your host, the Bob. Bill- Here, we're going to be taking a look at some of the animated predecessors to our beloved Venture Brothers, while simultaneously kind of getting a sneak peek look into the playbook that Jackson and Doc clearly have been ripping off for years. To great effect, nonetheless. Luckily, though, I will not be doing this quest alone. Joining me today is my co-host, Beast LaMode. Hey there, gang. How's it going? (laughs) Thanks for joining me, Beast. Now, before we get into it, is there any kind of a little warm-up you want to give us about possibly your history or possibly complicated feelings you might have about, uh, good old Johnny Quest there?
1: Oh, (laughs) fuck. Um, I mean, Johnny Quest has been one of those, like, uh, shows that I've, I, I just remember always being around, um. You know, the, the benefit of being, you know, born in a later time, right? Like in the age of, of mass syndication. Uh, I was definitely growing up in the early phases of Cartoon Network. And they, I mean, they still very much heavily rely upon. Oh, I say they do now. Uh, they kind of switched that over to Boomerang. But for a long time, they heavily re- like relied on playing Hanna-Barbera and Looney Tunes reruns. And, I mean,. Uh, They were a big part of the TBS series when Johnny Quest came back. And I remember actually doing a Johnny Quest marathon before the debut of the series. Like, I think they had a marathon of all 26 episodes on Cartoon Network leading up to the time slot to the one on TBS or something like that. And, I mean, it's just one of those shows that captures your imagination because uh, he's relatably your age. You know, he's a kid. You're a kid. Uh, the role models are, you know, really cool. Um, and you, you know, it takes place on earth. It goes, you know, all over the globe and, you know, uh, who doesn't want a jet set globe hopping, you know, super science lifestyle, uh, asterisk aside from Rusty Venture. But really, I mean, even as, you know, uh, times have changed and, you know, I've grown up, uh, and, You know, social values have changed. Yeah, there is a ton of things problematic about Johnny Quest. And if I'm being honest with you, I feel like, you know, if we sat down and listed them all out, that would be a whole podcast, like, unto itself. Like, there's a lot going on here. And, you know, I don't want to overly nitpick things. So I definitely want to go ahead and use this as my disclaimer to say, like, Johnny Quest is very you know, socially, uh, backward about a lot of things. And we could just write a doctoral thesis about it. Uh, but you know what? We're just here to have a little fun talking about a cartoon. Um, the world's a very hard place and, you know, uh, I've got two kids. I'm very politically minded and active, and this is very much my escape. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I'm just trying to keep it light so that's it like we get it johnny quest is problematic uh white men do not need to go around the world and save it with science we know this i understand this and i agree with this now we're just going to talk about like all the weird venture Brothers stuff this time
0: gadget this time Right, and that sound means that we're actually going to be going into our episode breakdown. This is where we're going to go ahead and go scene by scene and really just kind of get the general idea of what we're looking at here for the episode today before we get into our real dissection chunk. So sit back, relax, and we're going to go ahead and take a little journey into season one, episode one of Johnny Quest The Mystery of the Lizard Man. Now, I thought I was gonna be able to go ahead and get through the, uh, opening title sequence fairly quickly without getting into too many notes, but, uh, not, uh, not gonna be the case here. I'm, I'm gonna lose track of how many episodes they, uh, rip from in here, but see if you can keep count. From panthers to snakes, even a pterodactyl, the opening title sequence is jam-packed with boy adventurer mayhem. We got a slow-walking mummy bursting through a wall. Even the infamous Walking Eye makes an appearance. But don't worry, Ventureus. The army is here to save the day. The Walking Eye is no match for that tank. We get Bandit, Johnny's trusty canine companion, being swooped off by a condor? Komodo dragons on leashes? And then finally, the classic X-1 style plane and the super stylized character title card sequence plays. Now, I only mentioned about half of the different images that we see throughout the opening titles, and I've already counted about three or four references there, and I want to say I'm missing about three or four more. See how many you can catch on your next run through of a Johnny Quest episode. The show then opens with a small ship sailing through the ocean seas. The captain and first mate are trying to figure out how to navigate through some tricky waters. Now, yet again, just like the titles, I thought we might be able to get more than several seconds into the episode without a reference, but of course we come to find out that the reason these waters are so tricky is because they are of course the dreaded Sargasso Sea. Now I did a quick look up on this, and it turns out that the information given in the episode seems to be just about correct. That it's just a small chunk of the sea there seems to be completely filled with a certain type of seaweed that just makes it almost impossible to navigate. Now at one point later down in the episode, Race gives credit to the name Sargasso being Portuguese for the word grapes. Now apparently this is not true. But back to the ship, the captain has another treacherous surprise on his hands when a red beam starts casting its way across the ocean, targeting in on his vessel. And in moments... ...it explodes. to small vessel right nearby. The crew, seeing what had just happened on the uh, exploding vessel nearby them, decide, we better get out of here. And they send out an SOS call and try and start moving. But unfortunately for them, they're boarded by... (laughs) Let's face it. These are the first henchmen we're going to get out of the Johnny Quest show. And they're in these sort of half scuba, half uh... Frog, lizard, man. There actually is credits on several of the voice actors where it fluctuates between frog man and lizard man. So I've always kind of wondered if there's uh, been some form of debate on their side what exactly they were up until the moment they decided to name the episode, of course, Mystery of the Lizard Men. And what is it these lizard men are going to do next? Why, of course, exactly what they just did previously. They blow up another boat. Luckily, though, one of the crew members of the boat manages to, well, maybe he landed on, maybe he managed to get onto, because he is basically unconscious when found, but he gets up onto a piece of wreckage and holds on until the rescue crew gets there that they had called in with that SOS alert earlier. The man is rescued and brought back to a hospital, where he's nursed back to health at least well enough that he can be heard mumbling a phrase. Now at first they think it's a Spanish phrase, but it turns out that somebody in the room can translate, at least partially, and discerns that it's not Spanish but indeed Portuguese. The translation we get is, quote, explosions and thin red lights, the man says, and he keeps repeating something about a sea lizard climbing into his boat. Well. This is enough for the U.S. government to call upon File 0-37, Dr. Benton Quest, to investigate. Because now we learn that this is the fifth ship to disappear in the Sargasso in the last month. And this is where we also get to meet Race Bannon, or Roger T. Race Bannon, Special Agent from the Intelligence One, assigned to safeguard Dr. Benton Quest's boy, Johnny, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, as a tutor, companion, and all-around watchdog. Sound familiar? Now, this is where we get to a slightly interesting moment. From at least a little bit of research I've been doing on my digging, we never actually do get to meet Johnny's mom, and in the run of the entire cartoon, this apparently is the only time she's ever mentioned. The only quote I could find said essentially that the backstory on what had happened to Johnny's mother was too depressing for a child's cartoon on a Saturday-Sunday morning. Um. That only piques my curiosity more. I don't know about you. And as for why the boy has 24-hour, 7-day-a-week protection from a member of Intelligence 1, well, you see, if Johnny fell into the hands of an enemy agent, Dr. Quest's value to science would be seriously impaired. So now with Dr. Benton Quest on the case, we're off to what I'm going to call Quest Island and cut to our very first introduction of Johnny And what is Johnny up to? Why, beach lessons, of course. And is it time to read from a book and do a little bit of book learning? No! Judo lessons! Of course, what every boy adventurer needs. Who needs books? We need judo. Race, of course, tries to dissuade the boy, but judo lessons it is. And who couldn't be happier about this than Johnny's canine companion, Bandit? (laughs) So into the first lesson we go. And within moments, Johnny's getting it. Race gets flown over Johnny's shoulder with a judo throw and Bandit joins in and tackles him on the ground on the beach. It's fun in the sun at the Quest. I want to say household, but it's a private island. The 1%ers, man, what can you do? (laughs) Then suddenly, the call comes in from Dr. Quest on what I can only describe as a 1952 smartphone? I mean, it is a video phone. We are seeing Dr. Quest coming in live from the lab back at home. But at the same time, it has an antenna coming off it and knobs that look oddly reminiscent of a TV of that era. And with that call to action, off they go. Hopping into the hydrofoil and hightailing it back home. Now back at the Quest lab. They take all the information that they have so far on the case and feed it into a supercomputer named Eunice. Of course, the acronym does have to stand for something. And with this one here, we've got the Unitized Neutronic Information Center. Not quite sure what the E stands for, then. As the computer whizzes and whirls, Johnny remarks how he wishes he could just let Eunice do his homework. Now, this was a playful little jest he tried to make, but he got a very stern quiet from race. Upon further calculations, Eunice shoots back with an answer of simply laser. At this point, Dr. Quest remarks that he figured as much, and just so happens to have a working model of a laser to show everyone. As this is 1964, apparently lasers weren't quite general knowledge at this point. And with that, off to the Sargasso we go. You too, Bandit! (laughs) Now often adventuring in the old shipwreck-filled waters of the Sargasso, Johnny decides that he wants to go adventuring. Remarking that they've already been there for five days, Dr. Q feels that it's going to be safe as long as Johnny has his trusty bodyguard race with him. And who doesn't want to miss out on any of the fun? Why of course Bandit! He comes bolting down from the other side of the ship to make sure Johnny doesn't leave him behind, but what does he stumble into? But a mirror. A mirror, you ask? We'll get to that later. And off they go. As the boys in the trusty pup jet through the waters, Bandit sees something off to the side. It's one of the lizard men. As he begins to bark and try and get the guy's attention, the lizard man sneaks back down underwater. It's here we get the really cool shot of the lizard men's underwater lair. Connected by a glass tube elevator. They have a submarine attached to one of the old shipwrecks above. Man and boy, approaching in small boat. Johnny, Race, and Bannon enter the ship, lizard men lurking in the shadows, one cutting the line that's keeping the hydrofoil tethered to the old ship. Race jokes about ghosts on the ship. Johnny scoffs, but then opens a door, and an old-timey scuba suit falls on top of him, very reminiscent of a certain Scooby-Doo ghost. Suddenly, Bandit is snagged by the lizard men. Johnny and Race decide to split up at the same time. Race finds a lizard footprint, though, and realizes either it's a king sized duck or we're not alone on this ship. Back on the other side of the ship, a group of lizard men try and grab young Johnny, but lucky for him, he had those judo lessons. One, two, judo pros. <laughs> Running to go find his friend, Johnny and Race now battle it out with the Lizard Men out in the wide open. We get a great shot of Race doing a rope swing kick where he nails not one but two, three, four, and more of the Lizard Goons before finally the rope snaps and he falls down into the bowels of the ship. And with his bodyguard down and dog out for the count, Johnny is captured. Johnny and Race meet the head of the Lizard Men. You are intruders. You will not be allowed to leave. Why not? Because it will interfere with my experiment. And in fact, he does have a laser gun, and he plans to blast the first man rocket to the moon straight out of the sky. Race tries to break free. He gets a few guys, but he's hit on the head and lights out for him. When he awakens, we find our three heroes trapped in a holding cell of the submarine. We get a great scene of Johnny having to show off his boy adventuring skills of being able to fit through small holes. And through a sequence of events, they manage to get free. As they make their way to the surface, Race realizes he can use Bandit as a distraction and they manage to get through a few dunes before being outnumbered and having to make a break for the hydrofoil. And now out on the open water, an awesome boat chase ensues. With bullets whirring and whizzing by, it's at about this point that Dr. Benquest realizes that something's going on, with all the gunfire and all, and they go ahead and start to return fire. Unlucky for them, though, they can't seem to manage to get a lock on their target. Realizing that they're out of luck, Race decides he needs the right idea, and boy, does he got one. Managing to break away from his pursuers for just a moment, he flips his boat around 180 degrees, takes aim at an old wrecked ship, and takes off flying. Literally, folks. Using the old boat as a ramp, he jumps into the air, lands on top of the boat full of goons, and they are sent flying into every direction. Now realizing he's lost the upper hand, the leader of the men decides, it's time to pull out the laser. That's right. He takes out the laser and points it directly at the quest ship. Now it's at this point that we see the mirror again. Quest demands his men make sure that it's being held at just the right angle. And of course, as the laser beam comes at them, it bounces off the mirror and directly back and blows up the boat full of lizard. (laughs) Ha ha, science. Then in the background, we of course get to see the rocket taking off and heading off into space. The day has been saved. Now home on Quest Island, Dr. Q inputs the data from the adventure back into Eunice to see, quote, how it looks to you. But with a little bit of beeping and booping, we do get our answer. Laser experiments by Ford Powell. Lizard suits merely a crude device for scaring off the curious. And with that, the adventure is all wrapped up for them. So back to the beach for judo lessons. Cut to our favorite trio back on the hydrofoil. Race at the wheel. Johnny on the ski foil, and Bandit on a boogie board trash can kind of thing with the handle in his mouth. The credits roll, and that's the end of our episode. But wait, there's more. We don't have an actual stinger, but the end credits here for this episode are kind of going to serve as one, because we'll go ahead and take a look at those. Now, the first shot we get appears to be two men in what is basically the same hover car Rusty went to go and try and pick up migrant science workers with, but these men are being chased by some angry natives. So they hightail it back to their supersonic jet just in time, because as soon as the door closes, a spear flies right where their heads would have been. And then we get a great shot of Johnny and Haji scuba diving down, down, down into the ocean, to where we actually meet Action Johnny in that really cool bubble submarine capsule thing. And it's about at this point that we get to the final Hanna-Barbera production title card. And who else do we have in the background? None other than Dr. Benton Quest and Race Bannon. Strapped up with jetpacks, guns a and to be honest with you, it looks like they're on Mars. With ending imagery like that, you really do know that the future is going to be wow. This episode of Conjectural Technologies Podcast is brought to you by Conjectech Cigarettes. Are you the science-minded man looking for the right smoke for you? Well, look no further than the Conjectech Cigarette found wherever plutonium is sold. And while you're at it, why not pick up a nice fresh bottle of Guild of Calamitous Whiskey? I'm enjoying them right now. Why aren't you? Alright, gang, and that's going to go ahead and take us into our dissection section. Now we're going to go ahead and go through not every piece, but the important parts of the episode and really kind of pull the Venture Brothersness out of it. And. With this episode, we really can't get past the opening credits without wanting to talk about it. So uh, I, I'm not going to hold you back here anymore. Go ahead. Walking Eye, what do you got for me?
1: Walking Eye! Oh, wait, well, I mean, it's a walking eye. What do you need to say about it? Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, you've heard me ramble about this a lot. Like, uh, It's one of the things I love about the show because it's just really uh, so pointless. Like, but in terms of like the time and place where it comes from, It is such a metaphor. You know, Johnny Quest came out in, like, the 60s, uh, 64. So we're post, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis. We're at the height of, like, the Cold War. Kennedy's dead. And so you just have this giant eye on these creepy spider legs, right? And, like, that's the whole thing. Like, that's it. I mean, and this is before, okay, we didn't make it onto the moon until, like, 69, So sending shit off to, like, other planets to have it walk around wasn't even a fucking idea for us yet. I mean, not to say somebody wasn't preconceptualizing it because, you know, fucking people are like that. But the idea being, you know, the, the, the walking eye was not designed as, like, you know, a Mars rover. No, this was literally meant to just be provocative and creepy looking. It's surveillance, evasive, crazy surveillance coming to get you. Like Unless you have to... a tank <laughs> Well yeah and I'm sitting here like They're blasting the shit out of this thing This thing doesn't even have a gun
0: No no uh, no defense anything Or no uh, you know attack anything It just is there to creepily watch And if you can destroy it fine Otherwise it's just going to watch you
1: Maybe that's the whole point of it Is it psychologically unnerving Like when somebody's like watching you Eat when like too close Or somebody's reading over your shoulder <laughs> Like that's how the communists were going to get us, <laughs> <laughs> reading over our shoulders.
0: <laughs> well, now with the, the whole surveillance and everything, I can't help but think of our uh, my, one of my best friends, the uh, Grand Galactic Inquisitor. His ability just to stare through anything, and even while you're just you know taking a crap inside your house, he can just find you. Um, <laughs> they really just love that that uh, extra super spooky surveillance aspect of everything. They
1: <laughs> do, and you know, uh, I would actually love it if I could get my Alexa to just every once in a while shout, IGNORE ME! Because <laughs> <laughs> at least Grand Galactic Inquisitor ironically shouting IGNORE ME reminds you that you're always under surveillance. <laughs>
0: True. Always have the uh, sticky note over the uh, camera lens if you're not actually using it. You never know who's on the other side there. <laughs>
1: Oh, no. Sometimes I want to be watched.
0: <laughs> hey there. <laughs> FBI land. Uh, <laughs> well, and then, you know, with the rest of the opening here, we do have some of the other great things. Uh, we get into almost a Scooby-Doo trope before Scooby-Doo was, I believe, around with the slow-walking mummy that burst through a wall. The, the slow-walking villain, the, the Michael Myers, is, if you will... I have always loved that villain. There's something about the slow rolling menace that just—it's super spooky, but completely ineffective.
1: Um. Yeah. Well, and let's go ahead and just call—you know—call it what it is. For whatever reason, you know, everybody can go back to like the Universal horror monsters, and like, wow, those are iconic. But just as iconically, like you could see a Hanna Barbera slow walking mummy or a minor 49er, or, you know, a bald green zombie, <laughs> and immediately recognize
0: those dudes. Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah you were in Johnny Quest. Yeah,
1: I was an extra in Johnny Quest.
0: <laughs> Recognizing by, like, the grocery store or something. They still have the mask <laughs> as they're rolling around town. Right.
1: Oh, I mean, and, uh, no, like, I love that you can see these different, like, the same technique in two different mediums, and it's completely opposite. And, I mean, maybe, of course, you know, sensibilities were different back then. So maybe that was creepy, you know. But, like, Michael Myers doing it and, like, stalking, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, that was, like, terrifying. Like, Mummy just looks inconvenient to, like, you know, your path to escape. Like, you're
0: not really worried about him. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's a guy in a rubber mask. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Uh, to be fair, to... Michael Myers is just a guy in a rubber mask. An undead guy, sort of. I mean, is he a zombie, technically? Like, what's going on with Mike?
1: You know, I don't know. All right, things get really weird in that trilogy, or, like, the, the first set of, like, the trilogy, right? Because, like, you've got Halloween 1 and 2, and then there's the one with the witches, and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. no. The not have... Michael Myers one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean, I don't know. But, the like, in my mind, I only reference like the the first couple of Jamie, like ones with Jamie Lee Curtis, because it, that's the one that makes sense to me. Like, oh, he's just, you know, you know, escaped mental patient, which mm. is a, you know, w- a weird social trope unto itself. Like, uh, you know, you see that kind of a lot also in like uh, cartoon stuff. Like one of the creepy places they'll often go is like a, you know, asylum or a hospital, you know, and things like that. But I mean, again, really much more effective on film in terms of, like, creating terror. Like, on a cartoon, it's like, maybe don't put the bongo drum effects with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and definitely don't have him showing up just trying to be scary during the middle of the super runaway multi-door chase scenes. Like, it just ruins the whole effect there. <laughs> okay, and then uh, to go ahead and wrap up in the uh, the opening credits here, we get the classic, I I want to say it's basically the X1 there at the end, uh, with the, the title shot uh, cards for everybody coming up with their names on them, which we then see basically ripped off again. For At some point, we get the opening uh, title of the old Rusty Venture TV show, and they had the exact same thing. And you just got to love that kind of plagiarism right there.
1: Well, and I want to say uh, the title sequence of the pilot episode, Terrible Secret of Turtle Bay, um, and you'll actually see that referenced in – some of the other footage in full title sequences now, but they actually want to say they actually went through the, you know, Johnny quest, Dr. Venture, that whole like sequence in the first episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, when they have like the, they cut it down and they use it as an element when they put all the pictures into like the, the globey thing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. like, that was one of my favorite things was going back and rewatching uh like the title sequence and how they recycled um you know pilot footage that they didn't you because know, they weren't doing that anymore like the the art style got better,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah um
1: and then you see some like weird stuff that's never referenced, which also I think is very much like Johnny quest uh oh, are you, you know.
0: talking about like with that um the diver with the knife in his mouth, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one. I wish you would have shown up somewhere, but it never does.
1: No, right. And, like, I mean, uh, you know, again, their title sequence is very much a, a pitch perfect homage to exactly what Johnny Quest is going, you know, going for. And going back oh. to the X1, uh, I want to say, like, okay, X Men debuted in 1963. Like, this idea of supersonic jets was really in the thing, because they've got the Blackbird, Um, and I think the idea of these, like, you know, supersonic Concorde esque jets has everything to do with, like, you know, the U-2 spy planes and stuff of the Mm -hmm. Cold
0: War. Definitely. Okay, let's see. Going on from there, we get into uh, slightly more depressing territory. There's the mention of Johnny's mother, and it is essentially the only reference we're ever going to get to her. We don't ever meet her from what I've found. And the research that I did, the thing that they said was, essentially, it was too depressing of a backstory to get into. Now, drawing this into Venture Brothers, we never really do get a clear story on what happened to Rusty's mom. And knowing just how Jackson and Doc operate, if something was too terrible for Johnny's mom, how awful do you think what they've conjured for poor Rusty's mom? I mean it it's it's got to be something truly terrible. You
1: know, I could really only imagine because uh okay, Rusty we know is a clone, right? Um mm-hmm. spoiler alert. Uh <laughs> so but again, we know the way they operate, he didn't just come out of nowhere. So there was like there there was a mom and there has to be a reason like, you know, Jonas is such a morally broken Person. Like, I mean, if you really think about it, he lives like there's there's no fucking tomorrow. Like, the guy just does whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. Um, you know, pursues every pleasure and just drags his kid along with him. And so, like, in my mind, it had to be something like, you know, on the level of, let's see if I could give, like, you know, some cultural preference points, like Star-Lord's mom or the first 10 minutes of Up. Oof. Right, twice like, twice. <laughs> or oh, oh, you want to go for like a third one? And this one's not even necessarily like a direct parallel, but I'm talking in terms of like, just hit you in the fucking goddamn
0: heart. Bruce Willis at the end of Armageddon.
1: Wow, I wasn't even going to go there. I was actually going to say <laughs> Seymour Bud's from Futurama.
0: <laughs> Both equally as saddening. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's so weird because like I'm I'm in my mind I'm setting this up and I'm like I'm about to deliver the name Seymour Butts in terms of like one of the saddest moments in television history. <laughs> Damn you, Futurama. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean if you've seen that episode about you know Fry and his dog, like uh that is just you know in- incredibly heartbreaking. Like. I don't know why, and and there's no violins in the episode, but like they just happen around you. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Oh man.
1: Okay, yeah, so in, all right, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're going here, okay? We have to, we have terrible like ethics and morals anyway. How do you think Johnny Quest's mom died?
0: Okay, we're gonna start with Quest's mom first. All right. Well, they want to put race on. Johnny's protection detail because They don't want him to fall into enemy Hands and for it to um, I don't remember the exact phrase now but it was Something to the effect of like um, Impair his ability to do Science for Dr. Quest So I'm assuming it has to be some kind Of like spy Thing or somebody took her Out and set an assassin oh. And I mean
1: Okay yeah no that totally ma- Again that's very much uh, A Cold War thing Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually <laughs> there was a movie uh, and I forget the damn title of it it's going to kill me and I'm sure it will just come up with it and blurt it out later on in the episode but it was a CIA flick um, that talking about like you know the development of the CIA from the, the OSS to the, the modern CIA as we know it mm-hmm. and uh, one of their MOs was like you know taking liabilities um, and just tossing them out of plane So maybe if it wasn't like, you know, uh, like, uh, let's be honest, knowing what we know now about like, you know, how, how uh, covert government operations work. uh, I mean, that very much could have been the government just trying to keep him in line.
0: I wouldn't. Jesus. Yeah, I wouldn't put that past him at all, because that's actually what I was almost thinking for uh, Rusty's mom. Was uh, One of my favorite all-time Jonas references was when they mentioned the fact that the moon landing that we know, or at least some of us know, think, that was the real first moon landing, in fact wasn't, and that they had gone to the moon already in like the 50s or something. Um, I was going on the assumption that it was the government trying to get to the moon first, and essentially one way or another killed Mama Venture to get it done. And that's why I don't think you end up seeing as much in the later years of – he went private with, like, the helpers, if I remember right. So I'm wondering if that might have been what was, like, the end of his working with the uh, the government and all that, was uh, the, the soured relationship there.
1: Well, see, in my mind, to me, it would have been one of those, like, freak super science instances. Like, you know, they're just out about and, like, you know, fucking – Space toilet oh, comes flying out of the
0: atmosphere and just bam. Well, why do you think he was trying to make a helper robot in the first place? Because mom's gone. Like. Oh uh, yeah. Well, and that's uh, super. That's super tiny.
1: God, Right. Um, and that gets into a little bit more of like again, uh, you know, uh, well, you know what? I'll save it, you know, for another episode. This is actually. You know, I don't want to reveal too much too early. Uh, I want to save some material for later, so I'll I'll, I'll put a pin in that. Ignore me!
0: <laughs> Back to the Grand Galactic. All right, and then moving on from here, this is also where we get one of our possibly earliest interpretations of the henchman and villain setup. Um, there's some absolutely classic interactions between the henchman and the villain. I love the – I mean, it's a uh, cultural – politically incorrect blind spot on their part, but the just sort of ambiguous uh, third world ethnicity that they went with, because you basically you can't tell what the leader is Uh, they label it at the end as um, foreign powers like there's just this sort of weird thing with that (laughs) Um, uh, okay,
1: (laughs) so maybe, hear me out maybe that's his name and I posit this, his name is foreign powers
0: Oh, he is four power. Oh my God! Okay, and the
1: only reason <laughs> That's I so say
0: there, brothers,
1: <laughs> right? And and the only reason I think that that actually would ever work, and you know, having family across the pond, you can absolutely attest that Powers is a very real last name. Yep, and I have seen pictures of an actual headstone that said Manly Powers.
0: Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I'm going to have to, I've rewatched this like nine times getting ready for this, but now I'm going to have to watch it again, just with the idea in my head that his name is for and powers and it's going to be so much better. now.
1: (laughs) And actually uh, when you get a, get a moment, like ask Savage about it. He was the, I think the one who showed me like, (laughs) um, yeah, no, like good possibility. And again, points to very much, you know, the, the insensitivities at the time, uh, foreign
0: powers. There you go. Very nice. Very nice. I do like the fact though that we get a very nice early version of what henchmen are supposed to look like though. They've all got the same matching thematic gear. Like one of those guys could so easily just walk right into a guild (laughs) meeting or that like henchmen support group and they would not be out of step with anybody else did not take them long to find their stride with the look of a henchman.
1: Well, and, you know, really, you got to think the idea is just pretty simple. Pick a pick a theme and run with it
0: <laughs> like, yep, uh, as ridiculous as possible.
1: Well, and that's one of the I guess one of the better one of the better jokes about the monarch is how, like, often he <laughs> gets his like theme wrong.
0: Like, oh, God, yeah.
1: Because, uh, uh, you know, Sheila, as Lady uh, Etheria points out, is like, well, why, why don't you go with the monarch's name? You know, because it's a butterfly and it's like royalty. Like, that wasn't even his idea. <laughs> like, and I mean, look at what, when he comes up with an idea, look what it is. It's a flying cocoon. And everybody's like, well, what is that?
0: Mr. Evergreen? Like, oh, I thought it was a
1: pine cone. <laughs>
0: I want to see at some point him having a ginormous flying butterfly, though. Like he just he needs to get that by the end of the show.
1: (laughs) I want to see how uh, the one mercenary guy in was it season seven got the butter glider, because Monarch's like, is that my fucking butter glider? (laughs) 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 Because the last we saw of it, it was giant. Because it fell out of like, or no, no, he got pulled down or something. Uh, because they were making Rusty Giant, and it got, did it get smashed by the uh, the the sub coming out of his tear duct? I,
0: mm.
1: oh, also the Monarch Mind Infractor, like he's also yeah. bad at like name, like theming names and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, and also, I mean, he's not very hinge friendly, because again, going with the idea of picking a theme and going with, it, it's like, all right, guys. We're lizard men we're lizard men of the Sargasso Sea this is what we do bam, okay, cool you got lizardy things let's be lizards they're like all right, so we're gonna do this butterfly thing we're gonna put everybody in like a black body stocking this yellow jerkin we've got a utility belt with a uh you know butterfly on it that that's and things but the coolest thing here that's really gonna sell it we've got these wings right and they just boom <laughs> pop open its dope but we've already made the doorways arched, so
0: my bad. That is possibly my favorite (laughs) costume joke in the entire run of the show, is when they finally get around to letting us know that they've had to, like, duck under and bend. Do we ever actually get to see them animated doing that? Uh, I mean, I don't think so, but, like,
1: I get the impression – Well, and I get the impression the idea is, like – if they're walking through one at a time, it's not that big of a deal. But if like, you're talking to a dude and you're walking like, Oh, well, I mean, there, there's a plus. Like if you have J if everybody's wearing giant butterfly wings with like a three foot span, you really can't help but socially distance.
0: Oh, we all need to be fucking henchmen out there. That right. would be amazing.
1: <laughs> no, uh, I'm actually, if I'm being honest with you, um, I am actually no longer Beast La mode. I'll go ahead and, and throw that out right here, debuting that. Uh, I gave myself an upgrade.
0: I am Baron Beast La mode. Venture quest exclusive. You heard it here, folks.
1: <laughs> now, uh, basically, in the honor of July Fourth, I did take over a Dollar General. Um, that is like you know my sovereign like land and property. Uh, Beastlandia. We have a very small GDP, but we are very proud of it. And uh I I, I thought like Emperor was a little gauche, so I decided to go with Baron. <laughs>
0: um
1: but this has further inspired me most of the time like everybody else in, in lockdown and quarantine. I'm I'm in some version of athletic wear not being athletic. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. I'm wearing, you know, jogging pants or track pants or sweatpants or You know, like, you know, uh, gym shorts or whatever, but I'm not doing any of those things because I'm at home. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, you know, the new trend has been like everybody getting, you know, kind of dressed up to go grocery shopping because that's that's a thing you have to do unless you're getting delivered. So I'm leaning into that. I'm looking into straight up getting like Samurai Oni mask to go over my quarantine mask. And I'm looking into cloaks and hoods now. I think I might just go straight up old school Dr. Doom, but maybe like, you know, paint it a different color or put a design on it. Being, you know, from the South, I'm tempted to put some sort of woodland uh, camouflage.
0: No, Um, no, no, no. no. (laughs) You're going to go maroon and you're going to be Dr. Maroon. (laughs) (laughs) It's just close enough to doom for me to think it's a great pun. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: um, the other day, like I, I I shoot vaudeville in this message out of nowhere. I'm like, Listen, I'm going to say three words to you and I just need you to make it happen. <laughs> Scooby Dooby, or is it Dr. Scooby
0: Doom? Dr. Scooby Doom, now that you've said it on air, I'll go ahead and after this episode drops, I'll throw it up onto the Conjectural Tech uh, Twitter and everywhere else for you. I saw it as like a fun challenge. I only wanted to, I think I only did it in two cigarettes, and I only did it outside while smoking. Uh, (laughs) That's my new process for all of the uh, the visual stuff. A lot of the stuff you're going to be seeing as the... uh, posters for the, or whatever they call them, banners, covers for the podcast. A lot of that is my cigarette time.
1: Well, and I'm going to go ahead and just let people know. Like, I get it. Not a lot of people are, you know, smokers, so they don't really have that frame of reference. But let True. to understand how amazing this really is, uh, okay, so <laughs> Bob Villain lives in Las Vegas, which basically means whenever he wants to have a cigarette, he has to step outside of his air conditioning into an oven that's literally three feet from the sun to damage his respiratory system while he's making art. So everybody, say thank you.
0: It's it's 106, and the sun's beating on my patio right now, which is an enclosure, so it's even hotter than that. I want to say it's probably like 109 on my patio right now. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, go, go. It, it's really funny, like,
1: uh if you've we, we've never been in the same room together, but we've you know, we've video conferenced and he's definitely you can tell he, he's, you know, living in a desert environment. He he's a very slender villain of a man. <laughs> I on the other hand am a very well fed like beast. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure I probably sweat about nine gallons of water here a day, and that's only going outside for cigarettes. So if I'm actually outside for an entire day, that's all my body weight and gone.
1: <laughs> I actually sweat about that much butter in in a day, so that's not even. I mean, I'll I'll call that
0: fair call trade. <laughs> Okay, uh wrapping back around to topics that are uh, slightly more relevant. Now that we've talked about our villains, let's go ahead and talk about our heroes. What who who's your favorite member of our hero team?
1: Man, uh that's complicated. Like do you want like my venture filter or like my my like, you know, youthful optimism filter? Yes, go with right.
0: that one first.
1: My youthful optimism filter? Uh, you know, Race Bannon was always cool cool as shit. Like, and don't get me wrong, I have mad love for scientists. Like, I really do. Grew up really wanting to get into science until I figured out that uh, literature and history was a lot easier. Because <laughs> you don't have to be so precise. You can get away with a lot of, you know what I mean? Um, you can't really do that with research. <laughs>
0: Honestly, I was right there with you. I liked math until I realized how much easier it was to click on a video camera and I got into video production at probably going into middle school and I just kind of was like dropping everything else like fucking hot potato. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, no, I don't I don't have to write a thing. Well, you know, I, I take that back. You do if you, and that's a weird thing again. If you get into video production to avoid writing, you're you very much oh. miss the mark. <laughs> you shit the bet on that one. <laughs> um, no, like going back to it, uh, Rick Spannon was, you know, again like the international Manny of mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I love that. You know, and one of my the first connection I really ever made uh aside from like obviously you know this is what if johnny quest had kids but like you know brock is the you know hyperbolic version of race bannon you know race bannon's got that like air of the greatest generation i mean you could look at that guy and probably say like yep he served in world war ii Uh,
0: knows what the depression was like (laughs) yeah
1: you know he was he's much more wholesome guy you know he's not going to be standing out in the yard of the compound and like cut off jeans listening to led zeppelin cleaning his hot rod
0: but at the same time i'm not going to be able to pull the name of the town that they say brock's from or where he was born but where i know it was like omaha, a perfect nebraska. omaha nebraska i could totally picture race being from that hometown too like that fits to a goddamn t
1: yeah, they, they both very much have that, like, Midwestern sensibility, but just two different kind of eras of it. Like, they're both two different kinds of, like, badass. You
0: um, also always struck me as like, if Pa Kent from uh, Superman decided to, like, get up and do the International Man of Mystery thing. Like, he always has that kind of, like, sagely wisdom.
1: Pa <laughs> if Pa Kent. Kent thing going in. <laughs> if, let's, let's call it what it is. If Pa Kent were into dudes. <laughs>
0: um oh, Because let's, let's be
1: honest, I mean there's probably a reason him and Martha weren't quote unquote blessed with a child anyway. Uh no, I'm I'm totally just trying to piss off the Snyder Colt fans. Um <laughs> Mama <Mother> Martha
0: Beard <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why'd you say that name? <laughs> um oh, Yeah, no race Bannon. I, I get, I definitely get that. Cause he's got that folksy wisdom about him. He's very relatable. Um, even as like an authority figure, I, I just, I thought he was really cool cause he was relatable to Johnny. And again, as like, you know, a kid, that's important to me. Cause that means relatability to me. Um, yeah. and you know, he was a lot more present than, than his actual like
0: dad. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, he was like the active teacher, the role model. I mean, if he was going to go check out stuff on the boat, dad's not going. You go with race. Like, that's a totally a father-son moment. But no, no, no. You go with your uh, your bodyguard guy.
1: <laughs> I only break a sweat when I'm topping your bodyguard, son. You go outside well, and, and Even fun. <laughs> when um,
0: his son's getting shot at in a boat, he just tells some other guy, hey, you shoot at them. Like... <laughs> And then, when they go to shoot the laser, he's like, "Hey, you guys, lift that mirror." Like he doesn't lift an actual finger. He's just like the brain power behind everybody else. He's just like the the geppetto, and everyone else is just sort of his puppet. He's a lot nicer, but at the same time, you can see where they totally ripped it off for Jonas,
1: oh, well, I mean, in like uh, <laughs> it totally reminds me of a uh, big Bang theory, like just the way that they kind of portray the idea of like, scientists versus engineers like mm. oh i don't get my hands dirty with like yes. you know building yes. things i i uh, i write things down a lot like my my hands are soft and i need them to hold beakers
0: you see right, i feel like the largest <laughs> laser he was ever going to work on was that small test model he had in his house like once it came time to build the giant death ray like that's too many big metal-y things. That leave that to them. I drew you the drawing. I'll tell you how you're doing it wrong, but I'm not going to like <laughs> make it like
1: <laughs> No, and I totally again, like I, I just I would love to have like some sort of weird interdimensional cartoon time machine and be like laser pointer. Boom. Just blow their fucking minds. Like, did you just pull that out of your pocket? Like, we just built a laser that looks like a goddamn fucking lighthouse. This thing is huge.
0: <laughs> um, I and... love how it was like the lighthouse sweep of a laser and then it just blows the boat up. Like it's definitely not pinpoint precision. It, it it's like a full fan beam that knocks them out, which actually would be really kind of cool if they were up to fan laser beam technology. That's that's even almost was more advanced, but then that that doesn't seem like what they were trying to do.
1: Oh man. Uh do you know uh, okay Top two coolest laser beams I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm such a fucking nerd. All right, top two coolest laser beams I've ever seen in, in like, you know, anything. Uh, mm-hmm. First, the laser beam from Real Genius that they use to, like, you know, blow up all the popcorn in, like, the, the dean of science's house.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah
1: yeah classic Val Kilmer like 80s hijinks right kid genius type stuff the second one a little bit newer you remember that one scene in Resident Evil where they're going down the hallway and like they're like jumping the laser and a bunch of guys get sliced open and it's down to the one guy and he's like got his hands up like he's about to fight this laser (laughs) and it comes over and it's like you know and then it spreads out into like a net and just like you know runs through him like cheese grater like a And
0: just (laughs) It was like some like super jail kind of shit. (laughs) Like
1: (laughs) it was some straight up super jail shit,
0: man. That was another great fucking show. (laughs)
1: Fuck.
0: Oh man. Okay. Uh, um... actually,
1: yeah. Stay tuned for our like you know series coming down the line comparing super jail to the Jetsons. We'll get there.
0: (laughs) And actually, just stay tuned to General. Can you say prison
1: industrial complex? (laughs)
0: oh mr spacely um okay uh just the one last thing i wanted to touch on here with the team before we move on was the 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 last member of our team that we really haven't gotten to bandit now in the (laughs) in the in the vaudevillain household we just recently acquired a new little kitten he's about uh, 10 11 months old right now and we live in an apartment complex, we're up on the second story, and he likes to look out the windows, but if there's ever somebody walking their dog, and the dog is barking, I immediately assume, he's kind of a nervous little guy, he would have retreated and hidden, it's a dog, they're scary. Exactly the opposite. He will chase it around the apartment from window to window, and he's all fur poofed up, looking all aggressive, and he kind of lets out this, what I've got to assume, and it's his little version of a roar, but it comes out as like a meh. <laughs> but he will chase them around and around. Now, cutting back to the uh, the episode here, Bandit has an amazing bark. And I actually checked on this. It is done by a human. It is not an actual dog insert. But I want to give this guy props because he hasn't fallen for real dogs on the TV in commercials or movies or whatever else I'm watching. But when I'm watching this episode over and over again he will come up to the screen and he gets all poofy and he wants to go af- after bandit every single time and i've been crying laughing with that that is great <laughs> little 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 protector dude trying to take on all the dogs cartoon or not
1: <laughs> well and uh the obvious like you know <laughs> bridge to venture brothers here is the notorious scamp
0: <laughs> or scamp that's yeah, why i'm not uh, so scared for scamp or not scamp uh for bandit in the opening the credits because they show him getting just taken away by a condor and like no one goes to go help, there's nothing like it just that's the scene it's just poor bandit getting taken away by a condor you're just like oh <laughs> bye doggy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i uh no joke.
0: Uh I'm assuming that ends well, and that was the part that Jackson and Doc didn't like in that episode. Was <laughs> the saving of Bandit. So they were just like, All right, we're gonna let Scamp have it. Every time he comes up, just poor Scamp.
1: <laughs> uh no joke. My my mom uh she has a little rat terrier and for a long time uh she's been getting these tiny dogs. Like I I'm not a huge fan of tiny dogs. Like I like a medium to big dog. They just have a better energy. Also they're easier to keep safe. Like, uh, I've seen mockingbirds take shots at my mom's, like, you know, chihuahua. <laughs> like, and I can only imagine just, like, I very much imagine an actual eagle could have just snatched this thing up. Like, the way, like, a condor just yanked up Bandit. Because, uh, oh. I mean, these mockingbirds were giving this thing, fucking a run for its money. It was, like, just two of them. Bow, 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 bow. It was great.
0: I used to, uh, working out in California with animals, we were, I was working at a dog boarding, and uh, we would get the red-tailed hawks flying around, and if we had, like, a little Yorkie outside in the yard by itself, and someone spotted the bird, some they would literally yell around, be like, get out there, make sure, because, like, they would try and swoop down on these little dogs. So uh, Bandit is in real danger there. He needs to be careful. <laughs>
1: well, and I love the way we keep just talking about other things because we know exactly what happened to Scamp, and it's very weird to talk about. <laughs>
0: like I don't, talk about I don't know how. Yeah, I don't want to talk okay. about the Inside Out Dog. <laughs> Another but, <Damian> Hurst. <laughs> dude, <right.
1: laughs> I, I just, uh, I mean, uh, how does that even happen? Like, what? what could you have been working on in science super or otherwise <laughs> that would accidentally turn you inside out? Like, yeah, no. It was uh, makeup
0: testing. That's what it was for. It was for. makeup
1: testing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he said it was for makeup testing. <laughs> it was somehow going to make him like better to test on. Cause he didn't have fur or skin or whatever anymore. Oh, that's right. Like he didn't have to like... There was no like, there was a line of logic he said, but if you follow that train of logic, it doesn't make any sense why they had to do that. does <laughs> it be like science making like AIDS airborne. You're like, you didn't have to do that science. <laughs> like we could have done, we could have gone without. <laughs>
1: Dude, I, I read so many weird articles like that. It's like, you know, scientists re- revive zombie virus from you know Arctic, you know caribou corpse. I'm like. Why science? Like, why are we doing
0: this? Since I was in high school or middle school, they've been threatening with bringing back mammoths. And I'm just like, we don't need mammoths. Like, cool, you found a frozen one intact. That doesn't mean you have to clone it. We all saw Jurassic Park. Aww. I mean, the okay, trope is I hate there. To,
1: like, this is totally like on a, like true story. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know a lot of the particulars. I'm going to go ahead and tell you my source, though. Uh, being uh, that we make a podcast, you can assume that we are podcast junkies ourselves. One of the yeah. ones I love to listen to right?
0: uh,
1: <laughs> is Aaron Mankey's Cabinet of Curiosities. And mm-hmm. so he, it's these 15-minute little episodes broken up into two parts, and it's two different stories. And uh, there was one episode where he talks about like this Alaskan like potluck dinner. And this guy takes this meal to a potluck dinner and like, you know, everybody kind of eats it and, you know, it's polite, but it's awful. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then eventually like come to find out he got it from like thawed mammoth meat. Like you you got thawed mammoth meat made like a stew out of it. Um,
0: (laughs) On another podcast I was listening to last night, there was an episode of um, Kevin Smith podcast where they were talking about a good times episode where a, poor member of the neighborhood was coming over for dinner and everyone knew at home she was so poor she would eat dog food and no one wanted to eat the meal she brought because everyone assumed it was dog food but then she found out that no one was eating it because of that and she gets all mad and it's all like I know I eat dog food and I gotta do it to survive but like I would never make my friends eat dog food like it really hurts that you guys think I would do that to you and I was just like damn good times like (laughs) (laughs) doesn't sound like a very good time. (laughs) No. That sounds like the opposite of a good time. I wonder if that's what every episode was about on that show. I might have to do a deeper dive onto that one. Well, Uh, okay, (laughs) uh, going
1: on this, like, eating weird shit, like, uh, apparently one of the new (laughs) versioning, like, uh, how can I most offensively describe this group of people? The the basic, like, I guess, the Karen Larvae Instagram influencers, you know, that do all the keto fasting coffee enemas. Yeah, like, <laughs> th- there's a new, like, cat food diet going out, like, going oh, around. Oh, God, no. Yeah, and no. I, I thought it was a joke, I, like, posted up on Twitter, and then I, I fell down this weird rabbit hole where, yep, no, this is, uh, bruh, your Tinder date. Like anybody listening to this like, you know, your your Tinder dates probably eating cat food, dog.
0: Like just chill.
1: Don't just like... trying to get skinny? Yeah, well, I mean, and the thing that killed me is this chick was already like really really tiny. I guess she was eating this to like get toned or something. This is oh. why I date big girls cuz I know they're not eating cat food.
0: <laughs> well, weirdly enough, this actually ties us into our next clip here. Maybe she was trying to fit through a small hole. <laughs> Um, she tried, and she would just wasn't that boy adventurer, small tightness that you apparently need to be to get through there. Because <laughs> this honestly was one of my favorites from the episode that was just a absolute standout, bizarre thing to pull from the show. You know, there's things stylistically or plot-wise that you could pull from, but just this idea that... Well, he's a small boy, and he fit through a hole. Well, of course, this is something all boy adventurers just must know how to do. And of <laughs> course, coming from one of the absolute classic episodes, uh, the part two that has no parts one or three, uh, I'll let you all figure that one out on your own. I had to figure out that it didn't actually have a part one, so we each have our own cross to bear.
1: <laughs> Dude, I did the same thing. <laughs> like I saw it, and I felt like I had missed an episode. Like, in the first <laughs> run, and I mean, it happens, like, you know, I try to be week-to-week, week. things happen, I mean, maybe I missed it, you know, uh, whatever.
0: Like, and then I got the know. DVDs,
1: I'm like, huh, that's that's funny. <laughs> right. No, I mean, when you think about it, as as Venture Brothers points out, as like the, the boy adventurer trope, it's it's brilliant. You know, of course, like, Johnny Quest does it, but then you have to think, like, you know, if you've ever read any, like boxcar kids or hardy boys or (laughs) giant boy detective-esque novels (laughs) um you know that's that's a thing that comes up uh not infrequently like maybe not every time but like you know somebody like getting separated because they have to crawl through like a small opening and the other person like you know just physiologically can't do it uh and i i mean that's the brilliance of Venture Brothers is pointing out all of these, like, weird tropes. And, I, I mean, just Doc Venture is like, you know, boy, Ventures, you know, what, do you need a road map? Like, just crawl through the small hole. Like.
0: <laughs> well, and as you've already pointed out, um, I none of you can see this, obviously, but I am a um, slight of figure person. I always was the person who could fit through the small holes. I was the one who uh, <laughs> He's had a very, a very – yeah, I, I am definitely running a size doc. I could steal one of his suits for prom, no problem. I could always fit in the hole. I learned how to climb a fence the youngest, so if the ball went over, that was me. So this idea that other people aren't able to do something physically that you can do because of something that might not necessarily be an advantage, because, you know, you typically want to be big enough and strapping enough that you don't necessarily fit through the hole as a big old man. But uh, nope, nope. They want you, they need you, and it's because you're tiny and small.
1: <laughs> Here's the thing. Okay, so the boys aren't very slight. I mean, kind of Dean is. Dean's a little a little bit more,
0: you know. Dean's a Gumby-looking little guy. I mean, I think he could right, slip right. through some things. But Hank, but, no, Hank is definitely a stockier lad.
1: Right, right. And, and well, really, Jonas
0: Jr. would have been perfect in every oh, event. Uh, yeah. But anyway. I always want J.J. around when there's a whole
1: Right, uh, but if you look at Rusty in reference to his dad, do you think Rusty, like one of the later versions, was genetically modified to be, you know, a, a more slender, like you know, less bulkier, like Jonas? I... Like Jonas, like is you know, Jonas is a is a pretty like you know barrel chest man of science
0: and you know
1: protein milk like.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him for an instant, sort of being like was, what was it, like Gattaca where they were doing the uh pick your kid basically? Oh yeah. The, yeah, well, it, what, that movie. yeah, that's a that was a good one. That's a good sci-fi one we gotta get into at some point somehow. though that idea of like pre building a child, I could totally see in the cloning process, you know, maybe not the first or second time through But after you know he's like had a couple of go arounds with his rusties, him being like you know let's make him a little bit taller and a little bit skinnier, make him a little bit dumber. Don't want him. Don't want him being smarter than me. Like I could totally see him also never (laughs) wanting his own son to be like physically (laughs) imposing, mentally or physically on him. Oh, dude, I don't even
1: think he's not even. Oh man, he's not even. It's even worse. He didn't remove like his intelligence. Because here's the thing. He needs him to be a certain kind of competent and understand. He removed a motivation.
0: Oh. (laughs) Why is it the best ways to arch Doc are, like, the one with the monarch where he just lets him go? Like, the the worst ways to hurt Doc are the ways that literally hurt the most. Like, they built this character to be... To If you are going to damage him, you have to do it in a way that is so devastating that it, it would damage anybody. Like, he gets the worst <laughs> punishments.
1: Well, and, like, I mean, even going back to, like, uh, you know, the boys doing, like, all their haunted houses in their rooms. And, like, the only year they managed to scare him was, like, with real-life problems. Like, all at once. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, oh, uh, I I kissed this girl, Now it burns when I pee, like, you know, uh, we've got a, you know, leak in the roof, Doc, and like, you know, uh, hey, you got this from your doctor, what's a malignant melanoma? Like, all this in, like, seconds, and you just see his world spinning. Like, this kid has, you know, this guy has shot people in the heads, (laughs) you know, since he was a kid, you know, crawled through. God knows how many, like, Shawshank-esque tunnels in his life. <laughs> I, I mean, he's he's seen some shit. He doesn't recommend it. And, <laughs> like, the only way you could really get through that cow's exterior is, like, homeowner issues and health problems. <laughs> I'm okay. not terrified of the mummy man. I'm not terrified of your Frankenstein Dracula monster. Like, I've got a pipe leak and a baby beaver infestation. <laughs> I've got to work on this. Beaver larva. <laughs> Scooby-doo rubber masks. <laughs> Scooby Doo Doo. Are you oh, <laughs> oh dude, that was crazy. Uh was
0: it uh an Inuit?
1: Oh, I am so <laughs> totally into it. <laughs>
0: Okay, and then just to actually go ahead and wrap up here with sort of a sight gag, what I noticed right near the end of the episode was the the boat landing on the villains. (laughs) It's not entirely exactly the same, but it's very mirror. It's really almost a mirror image of a scene we actually just covered in Family That Stays Together Slays Together, (laughs) where, I mean, I'll go ahead and describe the elements and see when you get the scene. We've got fire, we've got a chase, we've got guns and bullets, we have a bodyguard with the young blonde boy in the vehicle, flipping a U-turn. I mean, it's got a few extra scenes added in there, but this is basically taking out Air Trigger.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I I remember kind of talking about this, uh, you know, in in pre-roll and, you know, discussing, like, it's in completely different mediums, but it's the exact same choreography.
0: I mean you go ahead and you switch up the uh, the animation style and everything and then put it from boat to land and yeah. I add, guess that's you know, what I
1: meant by like you know switching medium like he's one guy's on water one guy's on land uh, well the only thing yeah. they're
0: missing though is the uh, the favorite part I would have loved for Johnny Quest to have had the tongue licking gun scene uh, <laughs> that was the, the, the piece de resistance that they were missing with that whole thing but I don't think that would have even gotten by the 1964 censors back then <laughs>
1: No, oh, dude. I could totally pitch that. No, look. He's going to lick the gun barrel, and then we're going to show a lizard tongue, and he's actually going to be like Lizard Man. Like, twist. Mind blown. My name's M. Night Shyamalan. You're welcome.
0: Oh, my God. If it would have been the leader out there, it would have been a crime for that not to have happened. Oh, too right? bad he was on the boat with his laser beam. Actually, he should have just been sat there the entire time licking his laser beam. Let's be honest. That would have been perfect, too. <laughs>
1: Well, and uh, to be honest, this is very much a tried and true like animation slash homage technique because, like, in early stages of like animation and and so I mean, I say early stages, any stage of like a lot of creative processes, like you need visual reference, um, yeah. and up yeah. until very recently it became a lot easier to create your own visual reference. Like, uh, you can hop online and if you've seen into the spider verse, you can actually see the, you know, uh, animator who did that scene sitting across from herself doing the burger scene and stuff like, oh, wow. you know, yeah. And like, you know, that's her reference footage. So I, I love that, you know, that they totally will pull over, you know, different visual choreographies and, uh, you know, reference that. Like I can imagine the two of them sitting out in Astrobase Go, writing out like banging out this scene and then like they've got Johnny Quest on in the background and like, yeah, no, so we're like, you know, they're writing the direction out as they see it on the show.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, and one of my favorite like cartoon fight scenes ever has done this exact same thing. Cripple fight. (laughs) From what uh, is
0: cripple fight? Oh, oh, oh. From um South Park?
1: Yeah, I was going to say, like,
0: what is Cripple Fight? Like, <laughs> no, I thought Cripple Fight sounded like some kind of online cartoon or something. Like,
1: <laughs> Oh, yeah, the, the, the quote-unquote Cripple Fight, which is a very weird thing. Like, I'm going to have to go back and readdress that episode myself. But that fight scene is actually taken out of a a great, like, schlocky horror film called They Live.
0: <laughs> oh, Okay.
1: Yeah, it's the Rowdy Roddy Piper, like, fight scene, like, the big fight scene in the movie, and that whole scene is choreographed exactly the same. Like, I think there's even a YouTube video where they put the two side by side.
0: Oh, that's amazing. i would to go <laughs> <Yeah>. find that.
1: <laughs> Savage pointed that out to me long before the ubiquity of Pocket Internet. Like, he's watching, he's like, I've seen this fight before, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Because
0: I could totally see at the same time uh, Matt and Trey doing exact same kind of pulls like uh, Doc and Jackson. They clearly are another one of the uh, we-know-how-to-rip-things-from-your-childhood pop culture and everything else and integrate them perfectly. We could end up doing another full show on that one, and then it would take forever because they're up to, what, season 25 now or some crap? 22? (sighs) That could be a long set of podcasts if we ever wanted to go down that road. And we hope you're there with us, folks.
1: <laughs> we hope you'll join us for the rest of our lives.
0: <laughs> and with that, we actually are basically to the end of our episode here. So, uh, thank you all for coming out and checking out our inaugural podcast for VentureQuest. Uh, we hope you tune in next time and tune into what's actually turning into the full conjectural tech podcast network that we are seeming to put together here overnight. We have this problem where we have ideas.
1: And then we do them, and then we realize, oh, well, now we have to keep doing this, but that doesn't stop us. We just live through the panic. It's great.
0: And actually, if there's any editors out there who want to reach out to the uh, podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If
1: there's anybody who would like to uh, join the conjectural technology team on a more regular basis, like we do reach out for, uh, you know, personalities and contributors, and we get a lot of people who are very interested, you know, in a – kind of a reoccurring facet or a facet, uh, like a reoccurring you know, uh, why can't I think of a word here? Bob Dylan, word. Nature? Yeah, uh. bam. And more of like a reoccurring, you know, nature of the show versus like somebody who is, you know, going to be regular, like uh, on the production team. And that's actually very much what we're looking for because we're you know, pretty much doing all the things. You know, we're producing. We're the personalities. We are. You know, the the post production editors. That's why it has. Yeah, I mean, you've noticed. <laughs> that's why you've <laughs> noticed. Like, you know, once Vaudevillain joined the team, production got better.
0: <laughs> why, thank you. Well, um, and we're really
1: hoping true. to do that. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> so if you're really into Venture Brothers and working in what we have described as like the sweatshop of podcasts, uh, <laughs> feel free to, you know, reach out to us, Podcast at gmail.com and conjecttech underscore pod uh, at Twitter. Not not that Twitter's an email. Like, you, you people are, you know, internet savvy. You, you know what I'm talking about. I'm getting old.
0: And that, okay, we'll go ahead and now call that the end of our episode. Thanks for coming out, everybody.
1: Go team venture.
0: Go team venture. <laughs> Even worse than normal. <laughs> venture Quest, a conjectural technologies moffet. Co hosted by Beast LaMode and the VOD Villain. Written, performed, and produced by the VOD Villain. Tune in next time, Venturews. Same Bat Hank time, same Bat Hank channel. Come. Oh,
1: well, no, it was uh. better because we took turns.
0: <laughs> There's
1: only two of us to take turns.
0: <laughs> Three people's too many. That has to all go at once. <laughs> right, right. Well, no, if it
1: did, it would sound good. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> two people we can actually synchronize. <laughs> Dude, you know what? That's what we just need to go ahead and do is record us individually and then, and then lay it out on audio. a track and on, all on that this is why we need editors.
0: So if any of you have stuck around now to what is going to be the end credits roll on Venture Quest, you will now find out how all the episodes after this are sounding better at the end, because you also clearly make it to the end of hopefully the dissection episodes. Who knows you? Like I feel like you need like a
1: some like living version of video game achievement for that. <laughs>
0: We'll start sending things out to people if you can prove you got to the end.
1: (laughs) Ventureu badges, yeah.
0: There we go. All right, and we're going to fade out.